Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you again for another beautiful morning. It's great to be in your house. It's wonderful to be together. Lord, we're here to praise you. We're here to draw strength and encouragement, Lord. We thank you that you've got big plans for us now and forever. And it is through the cross of Christ our sins have been taken away from us and we've been set free that you declare us righteous, that you've given us your wonderful Holy Spirit that prays and intercedes for us, Lord God. Thank you so much for our Savior Jesus, our intercessor, the one who pioneered the way to eternal life for us, that we could be with you, Lord God, and glorified with you forever. Lord, we thank you. We owe you everything. And may our lives, Lord, truly be transformed today as we seek to live out who we are in Christ Jesus day by day. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing and rejoice and celebrate the Lord together this morning. Turn your microphone on, right? <laughs> uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. And, and as I was going through music this week, um, this song always just puts me in the right frame of mind for worship. So no matter how you've come here this morning, um, this song is going to set you on the right spot, the right place with the Lord. Here we go. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else can make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a
God, you are our song. Father, there is just no holding back your glory. And Father, we want to honor you this morning to love you and to sing our hearts out, Father, in praise and worship to you this morning. And God, help us to do that no matter what our situation is. Because, Father, we know that you're with us through the, the ups and the downs of life. And God, we know that your strength and your peace goes with us in every situation. And Lord, we just want to praise you no matter what. And I just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. same God that never fails will not fail me now. He won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. Is working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Father, we are, we're going to glorify your name now and forever and ever, beyond time, beyond space. Lord God, everything, everything emanates from you. All good 
comes from above. And dear God, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you, God, for that when Christ died on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. Lord, that's love, your love. We thank you, Lord, that through faith in Christ Jesus, by your grace, we have received something tremendous, the promise of glory to come. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit's presence in our hearts, transforming us moment by moment, leading us, challenging us, transforming us, inspiring us. God, thank you that we are not alone, that we're not Christians trying to do the best we can. We're full of your power, full of your vision, that you have redeemed us, that you have paid the price. And Lord, we pray that we will live into what is coming, that we will live for your glory, that your glory will shine through us, that the world will hear, receive, and believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is eternal life, that there is real hope. Thank you so much that we know you because you first knew us. Thank you so much for who we are in Christ Jesus today. And we pray for those who have yet to come to believe, who have yet to come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus. There are barriers, there's things in their lives that they question, whatever it might be. Lord God, we want to take a moment to remember them in our prayers. Father, we want to thank you, too, for our team coming back from Turkey here on Tuesday. We pray for safe return and all their luggage gets back in one piece. And, Lord, more importantly, we look forward to hearing what you did through them there in that land, that missional opportunity. Lord, we thank you for their willingness to go and endure the heat and humidity and come back to heat. And, uh, Lord, we look forward to seeing them. And I know their families do, too. We thank you, Lord. And we want to take a minute now to think about those who need our prayers, who are sick, who are dying, who need healing, who need encouragement. Lord, you've heard our prayers, and maybe we didn't know quite what to pray for this morning, but your Holy Spirit does. And what a tremendous difference that makes. Thank you so much for hearing our prayers and for your responding to them. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, I'd like to invite the kids to head down the hallway now for Sunday school and Gabe in middle school and high school, too. Good to see you. And for those of us that are remaining in the sanctuary, I'd like to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 8. We have uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, and we'll finish up chapter 8. Really a wonderful chapter, great bookend to chapter 5 as well. So much to be grateful for. I'm not going to read the entire uh, number of verses because it's quite a lengthy piece, but we will look at each piece as we go through it. Uh, it's verses 18 to 30. And you may wonder, why 
such a wide swath of verses, it's because it's, it encapsulates itself. It, Paul actually tells us by his language where this should be in our thoughts. And it starts with our glory, and it ends with our glory. And that may seem a funny thought for many of us because we're here to glorify God, right? To magnify his name, to make his glory clearer to the world around us. But God has an intention as well, and that is to glorify us, not to make us gods and goddesses or anything like that, but to restore us to his image as he planned for Adam and Eve in the beginning. So glory, glory, verses 18 to 30. Just want to start off with a thought. How many of us feel like we live our lives in a material world, as Madonna would say in her song? I'm a material girl, you know, living in a material world, right? You know that uh, George Harrison wrote that, the lyrics. A Beatles wrote that. He was a Hare Krishna all of his life till the day he died. Material world, and I think if we're honest, we kind of live like that in that box. What do I focus on most at home? Well, we've got a yard that tends to produce weeds. And I think, well, if I stop watering my yard, maybe the weeds won't come back, but then nothing else will either. So it's kind of a mixed bag there, and I don't really care for a lot of weeding. But I also started it on Williams over here, because if you notice, we've got a forest growing up along the edge of our lawn there. By the way, you don't need permission to come and weed here on church property. You've got carte blanche anytime you want. Feel free to meander around and pluck up any weed you want. Any dead bush, whatever you want, pluck it up. We've got brown containers over there. We'll see that they get emptied and uh, available to you. But that's one of my personal little projects is to work along Williams. If I come and I find out Williams has been fully weeded, then I'll move on to something else. So you're, you're invited, right? But what is it that we aim for? What is our, our goal in life? What do we really have ambition for? When we're younger, of course, it's probably different. You want to get through school. You want to get through college if you're in college. You want to advance in your work. You want to see yourself achieving. You want to maybe have a family someday. You want to have a house someday. It's not easy, and you've got these goals and ambitions. What's God's primary ambition for you and me? He, he does care about all those things, certainly. But what is the primary pinnacle of God's ambition and aim for us. It's our glory. We may not understand yet what that means, but we will by the end of the sermon. Our glory. And because we know what God's ultimate aim is, then think about what your ultimate aim is. To live into that. To live it in reality now, even though we live in a material world, and even though we get caught up in a material world, and even though we're still sinners short of perfection, glory is coming. And our aim then should be to reorient our thinking and our priorities and our time to think about how can I live into what God has already determined for me, not just to wait to the last second. I think that's a very important question that we have in our lives. The structure of these verses is very straightforward. I'll just outline it briefly. There are two points that Paul makes about the glory. Our glory is the climactic act of God on our behalf. That is the achievement that God has planned, and that has a tremendous impact on God's creation as well, as we'll see. And since we haven't got that yet, 
Paul calls us to wait patiently in hope. God also provides what we need in order to wait patiently in hope. We're not just left on our own to figure it out and struggle. God provides. So what does God do? Well, he gives us the Holy Spirit that prays for us. That's a wonderful, tremendous blessing. God oversees everything for our ultimate good. That is great news. And God's plans are unbreakable. God's plan to glorify all believers in Christ Jesus is absolutely guaranteed because God said so. And God's at work to do this. So that helps me live into a Christian life. That I'm not just going to live in a material world and live in a material way and be a material guy and then God just takes care of the rest when I die. It's all interconnected. I still like what C.S. Lewis says, if you just aim for the world, you'll lose it all. But if you aim for heaven, you gain both, a new heaven and a new earth. It's all there. So it's perspective, it's, it's vision, it's how we're choosing to live our lives. And it's a very big picture. Some people call it the meta-narrative, how our story fits into the big story. And it's the big story that Paul brings out now in these verses. So the first point I want to bring out is this. Be patient, knowing our glory is coming. We are called to be patient. Our glory will come. Our glory will come. Frustrated with the economy, frustrated with our work, frustrated with our relationships, frustrated with ourselves even, frustrated in life. It it happens. People get sick. They get cancer. People lose their jobs. Wars are taking place around the world. News is rumbling about various things that are disturbing and potential and all that kind of stuff. This world has trouble. But remember what Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome it. We need to get back to that meta-narrative, that big picture thinking in order to navigate well through all the stuff we all face on a daily basis. These are the verses that Paul begins with. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's a very good word. I'm going to break this down into three parts so it's more easily digestible and understandable. The first one is this. Suffering for Christ needs perspective. Suffering for Christ needs perspective. Verse 18 again, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
It's a comparison, obviously, and it's meant to keep us focused on that big meta-narrative, that big picture. How do I get through with this? How do, what do I do now? How do I endure pain and suffering? How do I endure or get motivated or get out of bed in the morning or willing to live for Christ? If I'm called into a mission or I'm called into a service or I'm called to worship God on Sunday mornings, or I'm called to work somehow in the ministry of the church or outside the ministry of the church in the public square, and you want to live for Jesus, it is not a game for wimps. It takes spiritual backbone. And part of that spiritual backbone, the courage, the boldness to be a Christian in a minority situation, an increasingly minority situation, we need to stand up for Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is we keep our eyes fixed on where we're going and how it all plays out and that God has got this secured and guaranteed because of what Christ has done for us. Now, Paul isn't talking about suffering in general. I saw a lot of suffering and uh, heard a lot of things and experienced a lot of things in my own life. Suffering is very real, obviously, and it's not just suffering in general. He's talking about suffering for being a Christian for living for Christ, for standing up ethically in the world that's lost in a sea of ever-changing morals, to be able to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That takes courage and boldness, doesn't it? And people say, boy, that's really narrow-minded of you. That sounds so bigoted, etc. You're telling me that all these other ways don't work. And the answer is the best, most wonderful, wide-open invitation is Jesus. Because you don't have to do anything. It's what Jesus has done for us. Everybody is blessed by what Christ has done for us. It's a gift. So a committed Christian is going to stand up and be a believer, and the world will know that we believe in Jesus. Our ethics are going to be rooted in the unchanging nature of God. There's some movements in the Christian community, I don't even know if they're Christian communities per se, but they call it progressive revelation, that God is giving more light. And so rather than listen to what the Lord told us in the Bible, they're kind of going off in their own take and their own imaginations. Their ears are tickled by something, and they think this is God's new thing, even though it's contrary to what God has already told us. That would make God wishy-washy, insecure, unstable, and not even truth itself. We've got to hang on to what we know. Back in the World War II, in the German church, Hitler's um, minions supplied sermons for pastors to preach. How would you like to come to church this morning in Germany in World War II and have me read a, a sermon written by Hitler? Bonhoeffer refused, and ultimately he paid for it with his life. Then how about the recent news I read? You know that Chinese government is communist, right? They don't believe in God as far as I know. You know, they're rewriting the Bible to suit their own interests, is what I read. Here's an example that was highlighted. Remember when Jesus, the woman was caught in adultery and a bunch of people wanted to stone her and Jesus wrote in the ground and everybody left in shame and Jesus says, who are those who accuse you, you know, and he says, go and sin no more. Remember that brief account? Well, now in the new translation that they're coming up with, Jesus participates in stoning her. There's no grace there. But that's government power, right? Authority expressed. 
So there, there's all kinds of fiddling around out there, and we can't fall for that. And there are many Christians in China that will not either. But they're going to pay a price if they stand up to the oppression of the government. We live for Jesus. How can they get through that kind of oppression? Why would they be willing to give up the material world? Because they know where their glory lies. Paul says, I don't consider our present sufferings for being Christians anything compared to what's coming. It is so wonderful, it makes everything else just eclipsed in his mind. And Paul knew what it was like to suffer for Christ. He was left for dead several times. Suffered many different ways and many different occasions. And he says, I still don't consider that to be anything to me because I know the glory of God that's to be revealed in us is so much more tremendous. It's worth everything. And he kept his eyes on the prize. Now our aim isn't to create heat because we're Christians. Let's go out and make people uncomfortable. Let's go out and really hit them hard with the truth. Let's just throw it out there and make a big mess out of everything and upset everybody. That's not our aim. Our aim is to be salt and light, right? And, and listen to the Holy Spirit and live into the Holy Spirit. If there's pushback, if there's feedback, if there's negativity, if there's persecution on any level, well, they crucified Jesus too. God gets it. And Paul says we need to remember that. So how do we endure suffering for Christ? Well, we trust God's unchangeable plan that we're going to be given glory. And that gives us the endurance and the boldness to live for Jesus. What does it mean then, the glory that will be revealed in us? It's an interesting thought. I, you know, it's always appropriate to say we're here to glorify God. It seems weird to me odd that God would glorify us. But that's, we need to understand what glory really means and what it's all about, and ultimately it gives glory to God, ultimately. So let's look at what he's saying. Glory that will be revealed in us. That glory already exists, kept in heaven for us. It, we will not be glorified this side of the resurrection, but we will be fully glorified after the resurrection, and we'll have that in-between in paradise with Jesus time before the resurrection where our glory is being revealed. Uh, Peter put it this way in 1 Peter, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, not like the world we know, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You may not know this, but the Bible talks about your salvation, my salvation, in three tenses. Past tense. The moment you said yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were saved. Declared righteous by God, all your sins were forgiven. Then there's being saved where the Holy Spirit is working in us, transforming us to make us more like Christ day by day, month by month, year by year. It's called sanctification, a fancy word, but it means to be made more sacred as we go along in life. And to the degree that we cooperate with it, we see its evidence. Then there's the final salvation that will come, and that's the resurrection of the body, a body fit for a new heaven and a new earth. That is the penultimate goal of God. And that's where our glory lies. And that's what's guaranteed by God. And what is that glory going to be like? Well, he says so in verse 29. Conformed to the likeness of his Son. Was Jesus sinless? Yes. Will we, will we be sinless someday? Yes. 
Are you looking forward to it like I am? Oh, yeah. How about eternal life, deathless, life? Will you live forever and ever in the presence of the Lord to have eternal life? Yes. Was Jesus raised physically? Yes. Will you have a physical body? Yes. With hair. <laughs> I'm told. Right? Actually, bald will be in. That's what's going to be. We're all going to be bald. I see some of you guys out there are just beaming with expectations. Right? Who knows? But you know what? We'll have bodies fit for heaven. It's going to be wonderful. They don't break down. They'll be serving God's purposes, and creation itself will be mended. It'll be just perfect. This is the glory that God has in mind and is bringing to fruition guaranteed. Now, that should change our thinking, because in this world, it doesn't work that way. But God has the answer that the world desperately needs and cannot find within its box, within its material realm. God says, I've got bigger plans the meta-narrative that is available to us through Christ Jesus. So we'll have a physical body, resurrected body, we'll be sinless and we'll be eternal and we'll be made in God's image as God intends every man and woman to be. Thanks to Jesus. That's a gift from God. So, B, our glory is the apex of God's plan for us. The ultimate end game of God is our glory. This is what God intends Verses 19 to 22, the creation, and that means the entire universe, is, waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom the glorious freedom of who? The children of God, believers in Christ. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, a lot of sermons might drift off here and talk about ecology and good stewardship and plastic straws and all kinds of other stuff. And there is a place for an ecological sermon, a, a, a managing stewardship of God's good creation, and that is certainly a good topic. But this is not what Paul's intention is. What Paul is simply doing is he's saying, your glory down the road is so important that even creation itself cannot serve God's purposes until that happens. Creation doesn't have a mind of its own. It doesn't have a spirit of its own. It's not a thing. It's not Gaia, the, the world, like it has its own omniscient way of thinking, its cognizant ability. It's rocks included, right? What it means is it's poetic. It's simply a way of expressing that it doesn't accomplish God's purposes for it. It falls short of its ability to really live out the plan of God. Why? Because it's God's fault? No, it's our sin that prevents God's creation from giving God the full glory that God intends it to do. And Paul says that's why our glory is so important. Isaiah 55, 12 gives you an example of poetry so that we don't think that the creation itself has a mind. It doesn't. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap your hands. 
clap their hands. They don't have hands, right? Obviously not. This is poetic. And Paul is referring to Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah made a big impact on Paul, apparently. And he's referring to the poetry in the language of Isaiah and saying, creation itself is groaning. It's like it's giving birth to a child, and it can't wait till that child is born. Then there'll be a wonderful, joyful celebration. When does that birth happen? When we're glorified. And all creation then, with our sinlessness, will then be able to achieve God's ends for it. Life. God's glory. And it's all tied to our own. So it's not creation's fault, is it? It was subjected. It wasn't creation that sinned. It was us. It's not God's fault, but ours. Isaiah 65, 17. Behold, I'll create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. That's wonderful. The future is guaranteed. That's glory. And all creation comes into God's fruition and work and plan when together we get back to God's original design of life, eternal life, and an intimate relationship with God. That's all coming up. So, see, we patiently wait for our glory. We know it's coming. So, let's not get too wound up and despairing and hound dog or Eeyore. Let's get, let's get with it and say to ourselves in our hearts and minds today, I know where this is going, and God has a plan for my life, and I know that glory is the end point. And that means sinless perfection, eternal life, relationship with the Father as the son or daughter of God, and I have a new heaven and a new earth that God has provided. Wow, God, you get all the glory. And by glorifying us that way, all of it comes together for God. That's God's plan. So we patiently wait for that. Verses 23 to 25. Not only so, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Why are we groaning? Do, do any of you struggle with temptations and sins? Does it bother you? It bothers me. You groan a little bit. It's like, oh, man. You know, you come to worship Sunday morning. You read the words that are basically prayers to music up above. And we're praying and we're worshiping and we're getting our act together. And we're thinking, Lord, this has been a week, hasn't it? I don't know if the words match my heart. But in the context of worship, this is where we renew our minds. This is where we re-express our faith. This is where we're renewed physically and materially and spiritually and emotionally and intellectually. We want to give God glory. But we know there's a gap, right? I'm not perfect. Are you perfect? Doesn't that annoy a little bit, you know? Well, that's what the groaning is all about. And it's the Holy Spirit in us that's changing and transforming us that helps us realize that we're a work in progress. And quite frankly, after 30 years of preaching, the old thing of, you know, Christians are hypocrites, well, this side of heaven, there is no Christian who is not a hypocrite. Get over it. But don't live into it. 
I'm willing to say yes. Occasionally, there is hypocrisy. That's called sin. But thank you, God, that I am saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by God's grace. So, can we get out of bed in the morning? Yes. Are we who we are in Christ Jesus? Yes. Are we already adopted children of God? I already talked about that a couple Sundays ago, that God adopts us, calls us his children. Now, this is interesting because here it says we will be adopted. What he means by that is the fruit of the adoption will finally mature and bear out and will be glorified. So, yes, are we already children of the Heavenly Father? Can we call him Abba? Yes. But the fruition, the end point, is yet to come, where we see him face to face. And he wipes away every tear from our eyes. It's kind of like when we were in London. I've, I've been there once, and I, I was interested in going on the tube. You know, you've got to go down the subways, we call it, and they call it the tube. And I was aware of a saying that says, mind the gap. How many know mind the gap, right? Mind the gap. That's the space between the platform and the train. And it's not a really super narrow gap either. You need to mind the gap so your foot doesn't go in the hole. And I think to me that's what the Holy Spirit is telling us is to remind us there is a gap between who we are in Christ today and who we will be. And we long for the day where we're free from all the gap, where the two are brought together and we're made whole. So are we adopted? Yes. Justified, reconciled, adopted, declared right by God. Co-heirs with Christ already. But the best is yet to come when God makes it perfectly right. So why hang on to the hope in a world of decay, sin, and death that we do know? Because God is sure. Our, the nature of God is at stake here. God promised. I believe it. Do you believe it? I believe what God says. And that transforms my life. Patiently means endurance through the muck of thick and thin. And this is an interesting one. Wait for. Wait for. Do you know what wait for means in Greek? You're craning your neck. You're really ambitious. You're really, really, really craning your neck to see it. It's coming. We can be patient because God is truth. I could have made a lot of money in nursing anesthesia. Could have if I had finished the course in the military and done all that and finished and could have been in 20 years, finished as a lieutenant colonel or something and had a government retirement and a big income with anesthesia. And you know what happened? God says, you live in a material world, but that's not the entire world for you. There's a higher calling. And that's not just me. That's every single son and daughter in Christ. To let go of the material world. Enjoy it. Be a good steward of it. Have fun. Go places. Do things. It's not a, a sacrificial sitting on a post in the middle of the desert with nothing around you and you're just being so spiritual. It's not like that at all. It's not meant to intentionally suffer and deprive yourself. But it is an orientation of, okay, God, if you call me to do this, then that becomes the highest priority in my life and not the material world around me and my own personal interests. My interests are God's interests, and so are yours. 
It's good to live into this. It's good to have that perspective. We wait for it, craning your neck. Are you craning your neck? Are you craning your neck, waiting patiently for the glory that will be revealed in you? If we're really living for Jesus, we're craning our neck because it's not easy. And I encourage us all to step up and to live for Jesus, to get our priorities in line with God and to see ourselves in the light of the bigger meta-narrative, that big story that we're all a part of as children of God. That's a challenge for all of us and myself included. Second big point then, we wait with God's provisions. God isn't just saying, well, let's all just steal our nerves, let's be bold, let's get out there and slap each other on the back and call each other on the phone and say, go get them. No, there's more than that. God does not expect us to wait patiently without helping us. We need all the help we can get. Do you ever chicken out? I do. Do you ever clam up? I do. Who helps me through those moments? Well, God does. Let's look at what he does. We wait patiently with God's provision, 16 to 30, 26 to 30. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And that's not tongues, by the way. That just means deep down to the core prayer. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. How? In accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And we could say sisters, certainly. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, what did he do? He also glorified. Glory, glory. What a great God. So let's look at the first part. The Holy Spirit is praying for us. The Holy Spirit is praying for us. Verses 26 to 27 are right there in your outlines. You can see it for yourselves. One of the things I want to encourage us, this is a real short point. When it comes time to pray, and you're not sure what to pray for, it's very reassuring to know that it's not on you. The Holy Spirit is praying in you to the Father for you, according to the Father's will. And when that happens... God's will is done. Now, let's say we're praying and we're giving it our best shot. Oh, Lord, and you, you share with the Lord what's on your heart and mind, and you pray that God moves in and does this. What if you're wrong? Well, the Holy Spirit makes it right. So here's the bottom line for me, and it always has been. When I stand up before congregations for the last, like I said, 30 years, how many of my prayers were spot on and how many went amiss? I don't know. How many of my prayers, though, were perfectly aligned with the Father's will because the Holy Spirit fixed everything I said to be perfectly in keeping with the will of the Father? Every one of them. What that does is it gives me boldness to step out there and go for it. And one of the things that 
uh, I see a lot, and I think we're just uh, very hospitable and, and kind-hearted. We don't want to take anybody else's space. But when it comes time to pray, let's all pray. I just want to encourage you to get away from feeling judged or critiqued. Because let's be honest, do any of us know God's will perfectly and completely to the nth degree? We do know much of it. We do know that we're supposed to share faith in Jesus. We do know that we can pray for other salvation. That is never wrong. We do know that we pray for healing, even for Christians in terminal situations. Why? Because there's the resurrection to come. That's never wrong. There are certain things we do know, but there are so many things we don't know. I'm praying for peace in Ukraine, that people will stop getting killed over there left and right. How about you? But I don't know what God is doing in through all that. That's where my heart lies. The Holy Spirit, though, is praying accurately, and I, I pray that my prayer is what the Holy Spirit is praying. God's will is done. You see, we've got to be bolder and, I think, develop more confidence and let's be humble as well. When your pastor prays for you, my prayers are no better than yours because we share the same Holy Spirit who makes it perfectly correct. So can you pray for somebody too? Yes. Can you be a comfort to someone in praying for them in their presence? Yes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is doing a great job, 100%. So let's be confident that when we pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. And it's always good. It's always right. I think it's a wonderful gift that God has given us to encourage us to pray. So here's the bottom line. How many of us are fearless prayers? We're not talking about prayer rugs and on your knees and praying for 10 hours a day, but when we pray, we're willing to talk to God. And I really want to encourage this. I'm, a, I'm an introverted person. You may not believe that because I'm standing out here, but I'm prepared, right? If I, if, if I didn't know any of you, I'd be sweating right now, and my heart would be beating about 20 times faster. Even now, that's kind of how I am. But in a group setting, I'd like to hear more of us pray out loud. And I'm not going to judge what you say. You know what I'm thinking? Praise the Lord, my brother or sister in Christ is willing to share. And we can add our amen. We need to get past the nervousness and get out there and say, I love you too much, Lord, to not say something with my brothers and sisters. Because when you pray, I'm encouraged. How many of you pray for me? I'm not being selfish. I just need all the prayers I can get. But it's not the power of prayer or the numbers of prayers that makes things happen. It's the power of God. Why do we pray? So that when God does move and God does act, we're looking for it. And then what's our response? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Right? Let's be that praying people. And when you put something out on the prayer chain, let's, let's hear the answers on the prayer chain too. And if there are no immediate answers that we recognize, then remind us again later on. Hey, no answers yet. Please keep praying. We've got quite a list. We want to watch for God's work. Then secondly, God is providing good for us. This verse has comforted untold millions of people in Christ, and myself included, 
and it's wonderful. It says this, and we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good, for the good of those who what? Love him. If you love him, then you can trust that God's at work to bring good. Who have been called according to his purpose. That is probably one of the best definitions of God's providence there is. God provides what we need in this life to get through for his glory. And the end result will be our glorification as well. God provides. It's not, I don't know, I suppose when we read good, do material things pop into your mind first and foremost when you think, think about good? How about marriage for those that were looking to get married and you thought to yourself, Lord, who, who am I going to marry? I know that you love me and I love you and, and I know that there's somebody out there for me, so who could I marry? Uh, Nicky Gumbel had a neat illustration of a man who went to a... Uh, he, didn't, he had two women on his mind and he loved them both and he wasn't sure who he should marry. And I'll just read a little bit here. Um, he was a cockney, so he had an accent. I'm not sure I can do that. But he had to decide between a woman named Esther, who was a gorgeous blonde, he thought, and Maria, who was an equally gorgeous brunette. He was attracted to very, both women, both wonderful women. Wasn't sure what God's intention was. So in his indecision, he was all worried, and he decided to go to church. And he goes into the sanctuary, and he's praying to God, and he says, Lord, whom should I have? Uh, Esther or uh, Maria. And he looks up and imprinted on the Catholic wall there above the sanctuary was Ave Maria. <laughs> now is that how we get the messages? Mm, but the humor is there, right? God provides good, but that doesn't mean that he guarantees everything is good, but the end result is good. How about this? You can't say to someone, because you've lost your job, you'll get a better one. How many of us know that sometimes that's not true? Sometimes you get a job that's not as good as the one you had, and you're not as happy. It's not as fulfilling. It doesn't pay as much, whatever the thing is. But God is still at work, despite the circumstances, for our good. Sometimes it is material, though. The Old Testament's full of that. It's not a wrong thing. God will provide blessings. When we had a vacation last week, Mary and Brandon and the three grandsons were with us, and we had a marvelous visit, and on Friday they went home. On Friday when they got home, after a 10 or 12-hour trip, tired, kids are going bonkers, they go in the house, and guess what? Their fresh, cold water line below their sink had broken. Water into the living room, underneath all the cabinets, stove, flooring, everywhere. Now their kitchen needed a remodel. Cupboard doors and all kinds of things were needed, and the insurance company is going to give them now a new kitchen. Now, can God work in incredible ways? Yes. Now, it could have turned out the other way, too. It could have been the insurance company balked at that and said, it's not ours to pay. Look at, your, look at the contract carefully. Look at the language carefully. We're not paying for any kitchen repairs. It's on you. Tens of thousands of dollars. Could it have gone that way? Well, yes, sometimes we're frustrated. Does that mean then that God is no good? No. The good that Paul is talking about is not the material things that we think about quickly. It's the ultimate good of the context of these verses. And what is the beginning and ending of Paul's context? Our glory. God is at work even now through thick and thin 
to bring good to those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What is God's purpose? Well, it's to have a relationship with us that lasts forever and ever and ever. And to do that, glory for us. That's God's big picture. So what's the ultimate goal? Eternal glory. I was with uh, Jim Dale Sr. the other day um, when he first started to go downhill. He's on home hospice now, and uh, only the Lord knows what time he has left. But uh, he's more comfortable right now than he's been, I think, in a while. And he asked me a couple of questions. One was, where am I going when I die? Now, he knew the answer, but let's face it. When you're at that point in your life and the finish line is just inches away, a little reassurance is not a bad thing. So I said, you'll be in paradise with Jesus. He's good with that. He already knew that. Just need a little confirmation right at the end that he's on the right track. Then he said, and this is the harder one, how do I die and get there right now? Because he's so done. He's done. He's tired. He's worn out. He's just, one day is leading to the next day, and it just never quite gets there where he gets to see Jesus. But he's so ready and so willing that he would ask me, how do I get there immediately? How many of us could say, how do I get there immediately right now? He's ready. Glory is coming. And he'll be free of all that stuff that he's enduring right now. And it's something to really look forward to. And that's how you get through it. I said, Jim, you've got to be patient. God knows every moment of every day of our lives, good will come. Patient endurance. You're surrounded by your loving family. They care for you. They're taking care of you. They love you. You've told them you love them. Your best friend came to visit you. Your grandkids have come to see you. It's all there, a gift from God in this time of suffering. But you know where you're going, and God's going to bring you home. That's hard, though, isn't it? But Paul, remember what Paul said at the start? I don't consider our present sufferings anything to compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. That keeps us going, patiently waiting. And that's what Jim's doing right now. I, I can't say he's always patient, but he is generally patiently waiting because he knows Jesus. I'd find that hard too, wouldn't you? But that's the reality we live in, and that's the hope that we keep in Christ. So who does God's good work apply to? All those who love the Lord and all those he's called. And called isn't a, an evangelistic call like Billy Graham would make a call for salvation and a coming forward and all that. That's not what it means. Calling, election, and choosing are effective words. And what God is doing is he's calling us into a relationship with him. You don't call yourself. You don't elect yourself. You don't choose yourself. Think about the language. God does this for us. And because God did this for us, then our salvation is secure. It's not dependent upon us. Thank you, God. That's a gift from God. And then lastly, here's this. God's purpose is unbreakable. There's no changing God's plan for us in Christ Jesus. The last two verses. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also 
glorified. Who did all the work? God. Praise God. Such good news. I was uh, talking to a relative the other day about predestination. How many of you have had conversations about predestination? What it means, whether you like it or not, or what, what it, how it theologically figures itself out, you know, and all this. Well, I'm going to just highlight a couple of things. One is foreknowledge, or to foreknow, and the other one is predestination. I'll just hit on those both real quick here, and then I'll leave it up to you to sort it all out in the big picture. But I believe that in a Calvinist way, that God calls us, Alexis chooses us, and secures us, that we are safe in his hands. And that is the reason we can patiently wait in hope. Here it comes, okay? Foreknew and predestined. Foreknew is literally to know ahead of time. Literally, I knew this ahead of time, God says. Now, some people think God knew who would say yes to Jesus and who would not. Therefore, God knew ahead of time. He foreknew who was going to believe and who wasn't. Now, that's really on us, isn't it? Not God's calling, electing, and choosing. It puts the emphasis on our free will. But that doesn't fit calling, electing, and choosing. So that's where I go back to God's, God gives all the glory and get, God gets all the credit is where I go back to that. But to assume that is to not understand what foreknow means. Now, two-thirds of the time in the New Testament, when you get the foreknow or foreknew, it's relational. In other words, God knew ahead of time he wanted to have a relationship with us. So when God foreknew, God knew that he wanted to have a relationship with you and with me. That's what foreknow means. I want to have a son or a daughter adopted in my family, Abba said. He foreknew this, and he chose us, and he called us, and he elected us. In fact, remember what adoption means? It means to choose. And so here's what we've got here, is God foreknew us. He called us into a relationship with himself that lasts forever. Then what about predestined? Well, that just means you've predetermined the destination. In other words, you've pointed us in the right direction, God. You've shown us the way. You've aimed us in the right direction. I remember one time when we were in Moscow, we're meandering around, we're, we're out on our own, and we're in the subways there, uh, pretty efficient ones, really. And as we get out, all the charts are color-coded, so you follow the red line, and you follow the green line, whatever color it is, and you try and figure out just based on colors. And we're trying to get to red square. And I don't remember if the red line went to the red square, which would make sense, but we were a little lost. So we get off the subway, and we say to somebody, trying to get to Red Square, and they volunteer, oh, sure, I'll take you there. And he leads us through a bunch of tunnels and then out on the top and walk through the streets, and we get to Red Square outside Moscow's uh, Kremlin and all that, and he holds out his money, now he wants to be paid. That's uh, quite a different experience for us, because as an American, I would just help you. Uh, but in most of the world, in my experience, when somebody volunteers to guide you, have your wallet or purse ready because that's just not how they, they think of it over there. They're doing you a service, and they expect to be reimbursed for their time, right? The good news is that the man predestined us to find Red Square. He knew where it was, and he steered us in the right direction. And this is what is, Paul is saying. God foreknew and desired to have a relationship with you and with me, and then God steered us in the right direction to heaven. And we live in that reality today. And our glory is coming. This is what it means. 
Romans 1.17, to all in Rome, Paul began this letter with this, who are loved by God, isn't that wonderful, and called to be saints. Called to be saints. Called to be believers in Christ. So what's the summary? First, God chose us, not the other way around. It's on God that all this is happening. To have an eternal relationship with us. God's the one that's going to achieve this and is. To ultimately glorify us for eternity. I don't have to do this on my own. God is going to provide my glory. That will be revealed in heaven when I get there. Because of what God is doing, our hope is secure and guaranteed. I am confident that I will have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Not because I'm so good and not because I know so much or not because I've worked so hard. It's because the Holy Spirit lives in me and has convinced me that I'm right with God. And that's through faith alone in Jesus Christ by God's grace. Humble all the way down the line, right? Thank you, God, for adopting me, for adopting us, and for what's to come. That's why we can wait patiently. That's why our lives should be oriented to where we're going. We're moving through this material world. This isn't all there is. And we need to think outside that box. And we don't have to wonder if we have what it takes to get to heaven. Do you have what it takes to get to heaven? Well, on your own, what would the answer be? No. But thanks be to God that through faith in Jesus Christ, by his grace and mercy, we're saved. And we're right with God. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will, will carry it on to what? Completion. God is going to complete the work he began until the day of Christ Jesus. When Christ Jesus returns, the resurrection happens, and our glory will be complete, and we will be a family of faith forever and ever and ever in the presence of the Lord. New heaven and new earth, bodies fit for heaven, sinlessness, eternal life. Wow, what's wrong with that package? Nothing. Made in the image of God is so cool. So what Paul says then is, look at the world around you. Not so great. But let's not forget to look here. Perspective. This pales in comparison to the glory that God assures us is coming then how do we want to live? Do we want to live in the muck and the mire and the dark and the woe and the eh? Or do we want to live as believers in Christ with an alternative available to the world and says, wow, God's got an amazing plan and God's going to see it through and you're all invited. You're all invited. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just I'm saved, I'm free of the, the penalty of sin, I'm, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We've got to look bigger than that. Glory is coming for God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, ah, Lord, it is so good to be reminded that this world isn't all that there is. We get caught up in news stories and news feeds and pundits. We get caught up in our own lives. There's stuff in our own lives, our own relationships, our own self-image, our own struggles our own shortcomings. But God, that's, that's just the box. That's just the material world that sin has decayed and damaged. It doesn't give you glory as you designed it. And it's our fault. But thank you, God, that Christ stepped into this world, born in a manger, raised up, preached the good news, 
revealed our sin to us, Lord God, in fresh new ways compared to his sinlessness, Lord. And he was willing and purposefully and intentionally dying on the cross for us. He did die. He did get buried. He was raised from the grave physically. And Lord God, he's coming back. And when that day happens, even if it's in the next few moments, Lord God, we know that we will be glorified. And that's because of you. Help us to be patient in the midst of suffering for Christ. Help us, Lord God, to wait. And help us, Lord God, to be faithful. Not just be material people, but spiritually alive in a material world. Thank you, Lord. And for anybody here today that wants to say yes to Christ, as many of us have already done, just say, Lord, I love you too. I thank you so much that Christ died for me, that I could have forgiveness of my sins and have eternal life, and that the day will come when I will be made perfect in heaven with a new earth and a new body for your glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song. When we all get to heaven.
join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of our Abba and the wonderful sacrificial grace of our Savior Jesus and the wonderful living presence of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore, guaranteed by God. Let's all shout, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Come on down to the Fellowship Hall. Enjoy each other's company and goodies. See you there. (laughs) 